children come Don't dare drive them away And then the kingdom comes Hear the holy foolish things they say The springtime of their life decides The adults they'll become So let the children come Please let the children Welcome to Children's Bible Journey with stories and songs just for kids. We have a dramatized Bible story coming up, but let's get today's program started by singing some praises to our awesome God. Hallelujah, la 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 la
step of the way. So read it, sing it, and hide it in your heart. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you.
an awesome way to praise the Lord. We'll do some more singing in a few minutes. Now let's get back to our continuing Bible story from the Bible in Living Sound. As the people of Israel continued their journey to the wilderness, the angel of the Lord again spoke unto Moses. Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth between Migdol and the Red Sea. Iser, why is it that Moses has brought us here to the Red Sea? I don't know, my dear. We're certainly going a long, long way around to avoid traveling through the country of the Philistines. What will happen if Pharaoh changes his mind and pursues us? How could we escape? There are mountains on three sides and the sea on the other. It looks impossible. We have no boats. I just don't know, Sarah. But we must keep faith. I can't help thinking, Iser. Moses has always been right so far. But even he can make mistakes. We must all be patient, Sarah. I'm confident that Moses will safely lead us to the land of Canaan. Remember, the Lord our God has spoken to him many times and has placed his confidence in him. And it was told the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled to the Red Sea, and the heart of Pharaoh was wroth with anger. General! I've called you here to give me your advice on a very important matter. Yes, your majesty. It concerns the flight of the Israelites. A subject I find extremely distasteful, your majesty. Yes, I'm well aware of your views on the situation, general. I'm beginning now myself to regret the error in my judgment. As you advised, I should have denied them permission to leave our country. Indeed, the tragic death of your own son, your majesty, and of the firstborn children of Egypt were an unfortunate coincidence. I am still certain there was a plague of perfectly explicable origin. Nevertheless, the Israelites took advantage of our plight by claiming it to be the wrath of their God. Now I, the king of Egypt, realize the urgent need for the return of our Israelite slaves. Therefore, our problem is to bring back as many as we can as soon as we can. Then, your majesty, I propose we take the necessary military action at once and force them to return. Yes, a good idea, General. I'll order every man and horse and chariot in Egypt to pursue them. We'll make the people of Israel sorry they ever wanted to leave. What has happened? I'm scared. No, Sharon, don't cry. There's nothing to be afraid of. Father! Father! Yes, Nebat, what is it? The Egyptians are coming. The Egyptians are coming. Oh, no. Are you certain, my son? Yes, Father. Thousands of them. The king's whole army. And his horsemen. And hundreds of chariots. They say Pharaoh seeks revenge for the death of his son and so many of his subjects. It would have been better to go on serving Pharaoh than to die here in the wilderness. <laughs> oh, Isaac, <laughs> what will happen to our children? Don't cry, Mother. What are they going to do with us? Don't be afraid. Oh, look, there comes Moses. He will tell us what we should do. <laughs> Moses, why have you brought us from Egypt to have us killed by the Egyptians here in the wilderness? People of Israel, you can even now hear the approaching armies of Pharaoh. But fear not, my people, 
Stand still and see the salvation which the Lord will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and protect you. As Pharaoh brought his huge army even closer to the frightened Israelites, Moses turned again unto the Lord. My Lord, why hast thou brought us here to the sea? We cannot escape the approaching Egyptians. Moses, wherefore dost thou cry unto God? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Lift up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. <laughs> Why, Sharon, whatever are you crying about? The cloud, the pillar of cloud. Pillar of cloud? What about it? It's leaving. Isaac, Isaac, come quickly. The pillar of cloud's leaving. The pillar of cloud is a... It, it's settling down between us and the Egyptian army. It is, isn't it? The Lord is protecting us from the Egyptians. The pillar... It's a light to us, but darkness to the Egyptians. Papa, why is Moses raising his hand over the Red Sea? I'm sure I don't know. A storm is rising. Listen to the wind. That's no ordinary wind. The water of the Red Sea. It's piling up, leaving a path of dry ground. Did Moses bring that wind with his hand and rod, Papa? The Lord is doing it, Sharon. So we can cross the sea and get away from the Egyptian army. The Lord has heard our prayers. He has saved us. Thus God made a way through the sea itself, and the children of Israel went forward into the midst of the sea upon dry ground between two walls of water. continue the Bible story tomorrow, and if you would like to have these stories to listen to at home, you can call the Bible in Living Sound at 1-800-634-0234. That's 1-800-634-0234. Now here's some more music before we have to say goodbye. Jesus wants his followers to know how to pray. What's prayer? It's simply talking to God. Here's a prayer Jesus used as an example of how we should talk to God. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Hi, sweetie. How was your day? I survived. Gotta be in English. And I learned something about prayer. What? That prayer makes you feel less lonely. How's it do that? Well, I have a friend, Ellie. She doesn't believe in God. Her dad says God is a made-up being that people pray to when they're scared. Wow. And she says that anyone who prays to God is just being foolish. So what's that got to do with loneliness? I asked her what she does when she's scared or having a problem. She said, I take care of it myself. I'm the boss of me. I can do whatever I want. Sounds like a determined young lady. Yeah, but who wants to be the boss of themselves? I mean, I make mistakes. I'm human. Would I really want to follow me through life, depending on me to figure everything out? I know me. I'm dumb. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. I think you're a pretty smart kid. Well, let's just say I'm smart enough not to put me in charge of me. I want someone who knows more than I do, helping me make decisions and showing me what to do. Trusting in me for everything would be kind of lonely. Now I get it. A life without God would be a lonely life, right? Yeah. Now, when I have a problem, I can pray to my friend Jesus. Get it? Got it. So if someone feels lonely, they can pray and God will be right there, ready to be a friend. Then, hello friend, goodbye loneliness. Jesus wants to be our friend. He has placed in our hearts a desire to share our deepest secrets and brightest hopes with Him. This program was brought to you by the Children's Ministries Department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was a fisherman. And he made a little wish to catch a lot of fish. But instead he ended up with an empty dish. So Jesus said, Peter, try the other side. Jesus said, Peter, try the other side. So he threw his nets into the rolling sea. And he said, look at all the fish that came to me. you've joined me today for another story just for you. Today's story is Chapter 3, The Mysterious Treasure Map. Come on in, kids. Everybody else is already here, Mrs. Shue called from her door. Chris, Maria, and Ryan dashed in out of the rain. Hey, guys, Willie shouted, stop dripping and come get some popcorn. 
Before Chris even got to finish his first bowl of popcorn, the others got impatient. I want to see the treasure map, Dee Dee said, leaning over Chris's drink. It's not a treasure map. It's a newspaper clipping, Chris said between crunches. Yeah, dummy, Ryan said. Girls can be so dumb. Chris turned to Ryan. Leave her alone, Ryan. Ryan gave Chris a surprised look, then went and sat down on the couch by himself. Chris looked at Ryan, then at Dee Dee. Sorry, he said quietly. Dee Dee shrugged. Let's see the newspaper article. Chris pulled out his book and removed the newspaper clipping. He unfolded it and lay it out on the table. First of all, this clipping is from May 12, 1887. Chris looked up at Ryan. That's two years before the date in this book. Chris began to read. Three armed desperados held up the weekly westbound train from Beetletown to Chuckle Creek yesterday just outside Mill Valley. Beetletown? Chuckle Creek? What strange names, Willie said, interrupting. Many towns changed their names over the years, explained Mrs. Shue, and many of the towns west of here died out when people no longer could find gold in the mountains. There were hundreds of little towns out there in the hills that are gone now. Ghost towns, Sammy said. Chris continued. The robbers waited at Snake Creek Pass outside of town. A tree trunk laid across the track stopped the train there. While train officials worked to remove the tree, the three robbers entered the baggage car. Holding a train porter at gunpoint, the three left with bags containing more than $3,000 in cash and a shipment of personal mail for the people of Mill Valley. When the track was cleared, the train continued its trip into Mill Valley. It was there that the conductor discovered the porter tied up in the baggage car. Awesome, Sammy said. Bam, bam, he mimicked a cowboy with a gun. No, Sammy, Maria stated. No one was shooting. This was a peaceful robbery. Sure, at gunpoint, said Willie. There's more, said Chris, continuing the reading. The porter was able to identify two of the bandits as Ace Wilder, local ruffian, and ne'er do well of Mill Valley, and his brother Tiny. Tiny? Ryan asked, who had again joined the group. What kind of name is that for a train robber? Mrs. Shue, what's a ne'er do well? Chris asked. It's an old word for people who are always getting into trouble, Mrs. Shue said. The two brothers were cornered in their cabin outside of town, Chris read. During a fierce gun battle, their cabin caught on fire. The two brothers refused to leave the burning building and died in the flames. Wow, Willie said. Well, so much for the stolen money, Maria said. It must have burned up. Not necessarily, Chris said. Let me read the rest of this. The third member of the train robbery gang was not identified and has not yet been discovered. Sheriff Potts and the train company detectives believe it was someone living in Mill Valley just as the Wilder brothers did. Neither the cash nor the mail have been recovered. Train officials believe it is hidden somewhere near Mill Valley. Chris looked up from the news clipping and folded it up again. So do we have a buried treasure in Mill Valley? Maria shook her head. I don't know. It's been a long time. Somebody's probably dug it up years ago. Or maybe not, Sammy said. Mrs. Shue, you know a lot about Mill Valley history, Chris said. Have you ever heard of someone digging up buried treasure around here? Mrs. Shue shook her head. Never, but you've got another problem. In the 1800s, Mill Valley had just a few hundred people living here. Now it has thousands and thousands. Places that were out of town back then are surrounded by buildings now. And remember, geography changes in a hundred years. Geography, said Chris. What do you mean? You know, geography, brother, Maria said. Lakes, rivers, mountains. Chris pushed Maria away. I know what geography is. I just don't understand how it can change. 
Mrs. Shu walked over and sat on the edge of the couch. Well, in the past hundred years, Mill Valley has had earthquakes, floods, and landslides. All those things can change the way rivers flow and the shape of hills and mountains. And then there are all the new houses and buildings. Uh, I think we're forgetting something, guys, Jenny said. We don't know where to look. We need some sort of treasure map or something. Well, let's look at what we have first, Chris said. Then we can worry about things we don't have, like a map. Chris was getting a strange feeling inside, an exciting feeling. Well, we've got the details of the robbery here, Maria said. What about the name in front of the book, Chris? Ryan asked. Chris opened it to the front cover. T. Elliot. The date is 1889. Mrs. Shu suddenly stood up. Let me see something, she said more to herself than to the kids. She walked out of the room. A moment later, she returned with a book. She flipped through the pages to the back of the book. As I said, there weren't a lot of people living here in Mill Valley in those days. The town historian did a good job of keeping track of almost everyone. This book on Mill Valley has an index that lists the names of most of the pioneers who lived here. Elliot. Elliot. Here's a Tom Elliot listed right here. Let's see page 29. She flipped the pages. Tom Elliot, son of Angus Elliot of St. Louis, died February 2, 1891, of the flu at age 24. She read to herself for a moment, then added, It says he was employed by the railroad as a baggage clerk. Baggage clerk, Ryan asked. Could he be the clerk who was at the robbery? Or maybe he knew the other clerk who decided not to identify him to the sheriff, added Chris. In any case, it looks like he was involved, said Mrs. Shue. Now what, Maria asked. Now we need a map, Jenny said. But we don't have a map, Ryan said. Wait a minute, guys, Chris said. Maybe we do. What are you talking about, Chris? Maria asked. Well, there are lots of ifs in this, but listen, he said. If the two Wilder brothers didn't have the treasure with them, and if this Tom Elliot was involved with the robbery, he might have wanted to wait a while before he spent the money. That way, people wouldn't know he was involved. And if he didn't dig it up and spend it, then he had to have some way of remembering where it was. Which means he had to have a map, Jenny said. But where, Willie asked, then added almost as fast, In the book! Chris nodded as he opened the book to the back cover. The paper covering the inside of the back cover was loose. I think the news clipping was in here, Chris said. He turned to the front cover, so I think the map might be right in here. He peeled back the thin paper inside of the front cover. Maria gasped as she looked over Chris's shoulder. Beneath the paper, she saw a drawing that looked like a map. you have heard today is a chapter of the shoebox kids book one the mysterious treasure map it was written by jerry d thomas and used with permission from the pacific press publishing association if you're interested in any other books published by the seventh day adventist church please visit adventistbookcenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955 This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let the children come. Don't dare drive them away. And then the kingdom comes. Hear the holy foolish things they say. The springtime of their life decides the adults they'll become. So let the children come. Please let the children come. 
Children's Bible Journey was brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio and is a production of Lifetalk Radio at lifetalk.net.